0: This peric, just like the previous peric, discusses lots of different laws which aren't so related to each other, but all carry a common theme that they are midirabonon because of tikkun or oilon. The decreed something in order to solve a particularly big issue or concern, and the Mishnais which we are learning now discuss taking property from somebody else, and which types of property one is allowed to take if somebody else owes their money. And the first part of this mission talks about a case where somebody had a field, let's say Reuven had a field, and Shimon stole Reuven's field from him and sold it to Levi. And Levi didn't know that Shimon had stolen the field, he thought he was buying a regular field. And then, once Levi had it, Reuven, who was the original owner of the field, came and he took hold of the field, claiming that it's his. And of course he has the right to do so because indeed it is his field. Now, the thief, Shimon, is obligated to reimburse Levi, give him back the money which he paid him, and if he hasn't got the money, then Levi has the right to take Shimon's property, his land. Now, Reuven, the original owner, he has the right to take everything back. That includes the land itself, and even if Levi had taken the produce off the land, since the produce also belongs to the Reuven, to the real owner, Reuven can take the produce back as well. However, regarding Levi's ability to get money back for what he lost out on, there is a need to differentiate. Regarding the actual field itself, the value of the field itself which he paid Shimon for, Reuben has the ability to collect even from the Chosim of Shubodim, which refers to property which Shimon had sold since the time of the sale, Levi has the right to collect from those fields as well. However, the produce which he has already taken off the field, that Levi cannot collect from L'chassim M'shubodim, rather only from L'chassim B'nei Chayrin, which refers to a property which he still owns and he hasn't sold on. I'm going to explain the reason in a moment, but firstly the Mishnah says, one is not able to take from somebody else. We're talking about Levi taking from Shimon, property for the sake of the eating of the produce. Meaning for the, sake of the, for the sake of the produce which is already taken off of the field itself. And as well as that, the amount that the land went up in value. This is talking about a case where Levi, once he bought the field, he invested in the field. And he spent money on improving its value. And the law is that the actual money which he spent on improving the field, so he's able to collect from Shimon, even from Lachos However, if the amount that the land went up in value is more than that, so that an extra amount he is only able to collect from nechos but not nechos which refers to property which Shimon has already sold on to somebody else. Alright, and the Mishnah adds a third case which is not related, for the sake of food and supporting a woman, meaning a man's wife and a man's daughters, this is referring to a case where somebody dies, leaving behind a widow and daughters, and the halacha is that they have the right to support themselves using the inheritance which the man left behind. So in these three cases, مشبادم, they cannot collect these things from مشبادم, rather only from Why? Because of What is the big concern over here? So in the first two cases, the reason is that these things have no end to the value which they can reach. A field continues and continues to produce more produce, and the amount that a field can go up in value by somebody improving it, it hasn't got a limit, and so it's not really fair on the people who bought the fields from Shimon to take away those fields. In general, if somebody buys a field, so he looks into whether the seller owes people money so that he knows whether there's a chance that the field might end up being taken away from him. But regarding these things, there's no end and there's no fixed amount because the buyer can never know whether the person who buys this particular field which Shimon stole is going to end up improving the value a massive amount and he's not required to be concerned for such a possibility. So it wouldn't be fair to take away those fields away from those who bought the fields from Shimon, not the stolen field, the other pieces of land, and therefore Levy who bought this stolen field, piece of land from Shimon would only be able to collect from Shimon's available fields. And it's also the reason for the widow and the daughters being supported. Again they can't collect from property which has been sold already because there's no end to the amount that they might need to support themselves and buyers of fields and property should not need to be concerned for these things. The with somebody who finds a lost item, and we're talking about a specific scenario where somebody lost two items which were tied to each other, or they were attached, and somebody found them on the street, and the owner of the items saw him pick up the thing which he lost, and maybe he came towards him perhaps, in order to return what he had dropped. But he only has one of the items, and he claims that he only found one of them. But the owner claims that he found both of them, and he's taken one of them for himself. So essentially this is a scenario where somebody is claiming that somebody else has a certain amount of his possessions, and the other person is He admits the part of the man's claim, because he says that I have one of your items, not two. So according to the strict letter of the law, he is required to swear that he doesn't owe the other one. Since he has admitted to part of the claim, he has to swear about the rest of the claim that it's not true. However, in this case, loyusha, he does not need to swear. Because of Tikhan there is a concern that people would be put off returning lost items if they're required to swear. Righteous people tend to avoid swearing, even if it's true, and so in order not to discourage people from returning lost items, he would not be required to swear, even if this is a case of murder bemicts us. Orphans whose father had died. And they relied upon a particular person for him to take care of their financial needs. Or their father, before he died, appointed an apotropis, somebody to take care of their financial things and their property until they grow up. So their father appointed somebody to do that after he would die. So this Apotropos, this person who is in charge of their, dealing with their property, Chayv asr is obligated to tithe their produce before the orphans will eat it. They're too young to take care of these things. So the Apotropos needs to do it. However, according to the strict nature of the law, the Apotropos is not able to do it because the produce doesn't belong to him and only the owner of the produce is able to tithe it. However, since the children are not able to do it and we don't want them to be eating untithed produce, so the Apotropos is able to do it And this is based on a concept known as hefka based in hefka. The based in have the authority really over all the money which anybody has. And they have the ability to make the money which somebody owns, ownerless. So whenever the based in want to give somebody rights to money which according to the strict letter of the law should really be entitled to somebody else, they can use this mechanism of hefka based in hefka, which is where they as if make a particular person's money ownerless in order that the other person acquires it and then it becomes his. So in this case as well, via the mechanism of Hefka based Hefka, the produce becomes the apatropices in order for him to be able to tithe it. Once he's tithed it, it could very well be that it returns to the property and possession of the orphans, but in order for him to be able to tithe it, it is considered to be his. Alright, continues the mission. Now, Apotropos, who was appointed by the father of the orphans before he died, when the orphans reach a certain age where they're now able to take care of themselves, and they no longer need the apotropus. so when the Apotropos sort of ends his job with them, Yeshova, he is required to swear that he hasn't kept anything for himself, and he's left it all for the orphans, However, we know Bastin, if Bastin are the ones who appointed him to take care of the property of the orphans after the, ha- after the father died, then Lee Shava, he is not required to swear at the end of his job with them when they reach a certain age are they're able to take care of themselves. Reason being that we don't want to discourage people from accepting such a job from Bastin. If he was appointed by the father himself, so we assume that the father must have done him some favour, now he's returning the favour. So if he's going to need to swear at the end, he's not going to put him off. He wants to do something for the father anyway. But if it's the Bastin who are appointing him to do it, as soon as you start making it a bit difficult for him and you require him to swear at the end, so he might refuse the job from Bastin. Especially righteous people generally um, withhold from making oaths And therefore, in the case of Bastin, he's not required to swear in order that he accept the job from Bastin. Now interestingly, Abashol says it's the exact opposite. If Bastin appointed him, then he does need to swear, because he's not going to be just put off from accepting the job, since it's considered to be a gain for himself by accepting the job from Bastin as well. Because now people will see that Bastin trusts him, he'll be considered a trustworthy person, it can help him in business even. So if he needs to swear, it's not going to put him off taking the job. On the other hand, if his, if the father before he died appointed him to be an apchoppers, then there's a risk that he might refuse the job because he's not really gaining. And therefore, in that case, he would not need to swear. All right. Continues the mission now with another case. According to the strict letter of the law, there's something known as hezeksheni nicker. Hezeksheni nicker is damage which isn't necessarily recognisable in the object itself, in the physical object. It could be that the value has gone down, you did damage and you caused the value of something to go down, but no damage is actually recognisable in the object itself. For example, I'm a tame, somebody who makes somebody else's food, or truma for example, which if it becomes tome needs to be burnt. So if I make somebody's truma, tome, nothing actually changed in the physical item itself, it's just that now its value is much less because no one can eat it. Or a similar example, hamdamea, somebody who mixes truma with non-holy or sanctified food, and now the entire mixture has to be treated as a doubtful truma, sorry, a doubtful truma. So a non-kloin can't eat it, again, it will be less valuable. And similarly, hamdamea, somebody who turns someone's wine into yaynesekh, yaynesekh is wine which has been used for the sake of serving Aved Zorah, idolatry. So if somebody mixes part of that wine with someone else's good wine, so again he's damaging it because it's forbidden to benefit from Yainesech, so the value certainly certainly goes down. However, since that is not recognizable in the actual object, according to the strict letter of the law, he would be exempt and he wouldn't need to pay for the damage which he did. And indeed with if he did this by mistake, for example, he didn't know that Yayin Nesech was forbidden or mixing it with other wine makes the entire mixture forbidden. He didn't know, so in such a case, pottery is exempt because it's Hezek However, Mayb Meizid, if he did it intentionally, in order to cause the other person a loss, then Chayim, then he is liable to pay for that damage. And again, that is Medjabonon because of tikkun Oilom. So that people won't be willing to damage other people in such a way. And on, note, and on a similar note, if, if turned carbonus in the base into pigle intentionally, then they are also obligated to pay for that. What is pigle? That is when somebody, uh, whilst they are processing the carbon and performing the service which is done with the carbon, they have the intention to do this service for the sake of the carbon, which should be eaten past its latest time to be eaten. So let's say you have a carbon which has to be eaten within a day. Whilst the claim is slaughtering this carbon, he has the intention that the carbon is going to be eaten in another two days, let's say. Such an intention invalidates the entire carbon and it turns into piggle. And the owner would need, the person bringing the carbon, if it's an obligatory carbon, would be obligated to now bring a different one instead of that, because the carbon became piggle, it became invalidated. So if a kohen turns the animal into pigle because of his wrong intentions, then the kohen is obligated to compensate the person bringing the korriban and to pay him now for the extra korriban which he's going to bring. Mishnah, hey! Hey, Ruechim testified about the following four halakhas and at least the second half of them are because of Tikkun Eilam. First, a deaf and dumb girl who is under the age of bas mitzvah and was married off by her father. That marriage is considered to be valid mid-eraisa. And the halacha is that if the husband wants to divorce her, she hates her a get, that she can be divorced by receiving a get, even though she is deaf and dumb, so lacks a sufficient level of understanding. In order to divorce a woman, one does not require her consent. One can technically, according to the strict letter of the law, divorce her even forcibly and therefore this deaf and dumb girl can be divorced by receiving a get, since her consent is not required. Secondly, the al is the Koyen, a girl under the age of Bas Mitzvah, who is a Bas Yisrael. she does not come from a family of Koyanim, and her father has died, and therefore if she gets married while she is still under the age of Bas Mitzvah, if it's not her father marrying her off, then that marriage is only valid Mid And the law is that she is able to eat Truma, and listen very carefully, Truma Certain times, one only needs to separate Truma-Midrabonon, so the entire Truma is only Midrabonon considered to be Truma. So that type of Truma, since she is considered to be married to a Koyain midrabonon on a Midrabon level, so she is able to eat Truma-Midrabonon. The point is, we are not concerned that this way she might come to eat truma midra which is forbidden, since midra she's not married to a Koyen. And as well as that, the Mishnah adds on, the Mesa. If she dies before she reaches Bas Mitzvah, so the marriage is still only Midyabonon, Bala Yosha. Her husband inherits her. Again, this is using the mechanism of hefka Base and Hefka, even though on a midoraisa level, they're not married to each other, so he shouldn't inherit her. Since Midyabonon, they are considered married, they use the mechanism of hefka Base and Hefka, and therefore he can inherit her. Next case, Valhamorish HaGozul a stolen beam of wood Shibunoi b'abira, which the thief built in a very large house, a very large building, and he didn't actually make any changes to the beam itself since he stole it. So technically it's considered to still be owned by the original owner, and according to the strict letter of the law, the original owner should be able to come and take that wooden beam. And if it means that this person is going to have to take down the entire house, then he'll need to do so. But the Mishnah says, Shetal the stole of. The original owner can only take the value of the wooden beam, if that is what the person who stole it wishes. To him for the sake, for the benefit of those who are doing Tshuva. Meaning, we want the thief to do Tshuva, we want him to give back the thing which he stole. Now, if you're going to tell him that he, in order to do so, he needs to take down the entire house, or take down part of the house, he's much less likely to pay back at all. And he's not going to do tshuva by returning the item. And therefore, we say that it's enough that he give back the money. And finally, a common chattos which was stolen, and it was off up as a korban, and according to the strict letter of the law, it should be totally invalid. However, if shleinu dole it wasn't known to the public... There weren't lots of people who knew about it, that it was stolen and that it should be invalid. Then, we look at it as if it did atone for the sin which required the carbon to be bought. Meaning, the person who had to bring the carbon does not need to bring another carbon instead. For the sake and benefit of the Mizbeach. Meaning, if you would say that it's invalid, Konin would become very concerned about bringing Corbanus. They would start to worry, perhaps this carbon is stolen, so it's invalid, in which case it's forbidden to slaughter it and bring it to them as beach. And they might p- withhold themselves from performing the service in the Besamikdot, so pre- to pre- prevent that from happening, as long as this was, wasn't known to the public that it was stolen. So we do consider the carbon to be valid, and the owner would not need to bring another carbon. Which is This ministry discusses something known as Sikrikain. Sikrikoin refers to when there were dangerous times and people who were murderers would come to people's fields and they would basically say, your money or your life. Either leave your field and give it to me or sell it to me or else I will kill you. And the question is, if he gives over the field to him, is that considered to be a valid transfer of ownership or not? So the Mishnah says that be The laws of Sikrikoin did not apply in the area of Yehuda during the time where people killed in war this is referring to a time during the Roman rulership of Eretz Israel where they would kill Jews and it wasn't considered to be illegal at all so in such a case if somebody says that they'll either kill the Jew unless he gives them the field the Jew knows or at least he's pretty sure that he's not going to get that field back he's not going to be able to take the person to court or something and make a complaint that he's not gonna he hasn't got his field that somebody took it from him because the Romans ruled the place, and it wasn't considered to be illegal at all to kill the Jews. So when he gave over the field, he totally gave up hope of ever getting it back, and therefore, it's considered that the Sikrikoin does really own it. However, Sikri... After this period of time where there were people, murderers in the war, for Sikrikoin, the laws of Sikrikoin do apply, and now Mishnah explains how exactly that works. Kate said, how so? If the Sekri coin took the field, and now he's going to sell it to somebody else, Mlokach coin, and this somebody else will call him Levi. He bought the field off the of Sekri coin, and then he went back and bought the field from the original owner. He paid him for the field as well. Even in that case, Mikhe Botel, the sale is invalid, and Levi isn't able to claim the fact that the, the, the person who originally owned the field will call him Ruvain. The fact that he accepted the money means that he's really transferring ownership to me. Because we assume that it's all part of his fear of the Sikrikain, and that really he's hoping to get the field back, and so he does not intend to give over ownership of the field. But if it's Ali Real and Balabais, if Levi first paid the Balabais for it, before the Sikrikain, and then of the Chazalak on the Sikrikain, then he bought it from the Sikrikain, so when the Balabais, when Ruben actually sold it to him, that was before the Sikrikain came. Before the Sikrikain sold it. And therefore, really, Ruvain, at the time that he sold it, didn't intend to transfer the ownership to Levi. And therefore, Mikre Kayom, his sale will be valid. On a similar note, Lokapan Ish, if somebody bought land from a man, and this land was designated to pay the Kasuba of his wife. The Kasuba is a document written at the time of marriage entitling a woman to a particular amount of money or property from her husband in the event that she is divorced or widowed from him. So in this case, the arrangement of the kasuba was that there was a specific piece of land which was designated for kasuba, and somebody bought this from the man, from the husband, the chazvel akamena isha, and then he went and bought from the woman, meaning he paid her for her to relinquish the rights of getting the kasuba once she's divorced or widowed. Mikhail Botel, his sale is invalid because she can claim that she only did it in order to please her husband. She was married to her husband at the time, so since she saw that her husband wanted to sell the field, so she said that it's as if I, I pretended to agree so that my husband would be happy with me. But Ri really, I never intended to give over the ownership, and therefore I have I still have the rights to collect it for my kasuba, and indeed she can do so. However, Mino mean, first he bought the rights from the woman, that means at that, that time she can't claim it was in order to agree with her husband, because her husband hadn't yet sold it. The ish, and then he bought the field from her husband. I mean, the sale is valid, and she would not be able to collect her kasuba from that property. All right, now the Mishnah goes back to the laws of Sikrikoin, and everything we said regarding Sikrikoin, this was the original law that if somebody buys property from a secret even if afterwards he buys it from the original owner, the sale is invalid. That was the original law. However, uh, Basin in Amru Omro, later based in said that the law is actually as follows one who buys property from the secret the sale is valid. However, The person who buys the field from the Sikri coin is obligated to give the original owner a quarter of the value of the land. The reason being that since the Sikri coin got this land for free, just by stealing it, he's likely to sell it for slightly less than its regular value, to make it easier for him to sell it and get rid of it. And we assume that he usually would sell it for a quarter less than its real value. So the person who bought the field ended up paying not its real value. So at least that he should need to pay to the original owner. And as well as that, that Mishnah adds, "Emosai, when is this the case? That so the person who buys it from the coin is able to do so, and he acquires it. That's only with managed to aim if the original owner has not got enough money to buy back the field from the coin. But yes, but if the original owner does have enough money to buy it back from the coin, then they have the rights before anybody else, and you would need to allow the original owner to buy it from the Sikrikoin. Alright, now Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi who wrote the Mishnah, based in, he set up a base thing of and they decided, they came to the conclusion, that the law is like the later base However, they added that if the Sikrikoin had it, he had the field with him for 12 months, and the original owner still hadn't bought it back from him. Then you don't need to go and ask the original owner, do you still want to buy it back from him? Anybody who gets there first to buy it can do so, and can acquire that from the Sikri coin. And then you would just need to give the original owners a quarter of the value. But he himself is able to buy the field, and that would be a valid sale.